Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Sarah Barry, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, we're very happy to have you. Um, Sarah is one of Australia's best-selling authors, um, writing mainly suspense in rural settings with a healthy serving of romance thrown in. Her debut best-selling print novel earned her a spot as uh, one of the top 10 breakthrough authors of 2014. And her next three books also reached the bestseller status. She has been a finalist in several major awards, including twice in the Ruby, the Romance Writers of Australia's Premier Award, and three times in the Australian Romance Readers Award for a favourite romantic suspense. Sarah has had quite the varied work life, having worked as a teacher, a vet nurse, a horse trainer, and a magazine editor. That is quite varied. I like to mix things up. I get <laughs> yeah. bored easily. But there is there is a thread, I guess. You like, you know, uh, there's obviously a love of animals there mm-hmm. um, and also a love of writing, of course. She is also a mum and can often be found taking her kids to soccer games or gymnastics lessons. On top of that, Sarah lives in a beautiful rural New South Wales. She lives in beautiful rural New South Wales where she gets to chase after cattle, sheep, chickens and even a pig on the family property. This family property is Sarah's favourite place in the world where she can be with both her family and the wild. And I guess have a quiet... Have you, do you have a reading, a writing room? I do. You yes, do? Yes, I have a little office out of the back of the house. And is it what we imagine it to be? It's probably similar if you're thinking Cottage Shack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. That's yeah. exactly what it is. It's very basic, but it's mine. It's set up the way I like it and nobody trespasses. All oh, right. So, so it's your space. It's my space. And are you able to keep it as your space? Generally, though, my daughter does sneak in occasionally to yes. do some artworks and leaves them on the walls for me, but it's probably generally the tidiest place in the house, in the house. because the kids don't generally get in there. And how are you? Is there a discipline around your writing? Do you yeah. aim to get in there at ten o'clock every morning and leave at four or something like that? Whenever I make definite plans, the farm laughs at me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if I say, "Well, I'm going to get in there at nine thirty and write until twelve thirty," inevitably the cows will get out, or you know, some other disaster will happen. So I tend to be very casual in yes. my approach to when I can write and as soon as I have time I'll sit down and when I need to get up I get up so there's no real structure day to day it's just as much as I can fit in but you do write day to day I do write every day um, unless you know something very rarely happens. something comes up yes yeah 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 okay all right so tell me tell me about your life where did you grow up how did you come to writing well, firstly, I mean, I, I, how did you come to all the jobs that you were doing, teacher, vet nurse? Yeah, well, I, I started out um, growing up with my parents at Daly's Point, which is a little coastal area of the Central Coast. Um, but from the time I was three, all I wanted to do was horse ride and chase cows and, and all those sorts of things. So You loved animals um, from I an loved age. animals, and as soon as I could start working with them, I did, which is where the vet nursing came in. Um, I went to uni and studied uh, horse husbandry and then equine science 
and the um, horse jobs came in from there. We moved on to a property when I was in my early teens and collected animals very quickly. Uh, and How then, easy was it to be a female and studying equine therapy and I equine was science? in the minority yeah. in my class. I think there was four girls and about 30 boys yeah. there. Um, but that said, it, we didn't feel in any way disadvantaged because of that. Um, and it was the teachers there were very open, the lecturers were just treated us all the same. So it wasn't difficult from that perspective. So um, I um, was convinced by a friend of mine to take a health retreat a couple, I think it was last year. No. Not my, yeah, I know, not my thing though. But anyway, I went. But one of the things um, on the activity list was equine therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a bit out there. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> it's doing remarkable things um, rehabilitation-wise for uh, young people with mental health issues and um, in the States they use it a lot with prisoners. Um, and so is it the relationship between you and the horse? Absolutely. Horses are so honest. You know, you're going to get out of them what you put in. And so if you're angry and impatient, you're going to get an angry and impatient um, response. Um, as soon as you start to show the smallest amount of affection, um, they'll respond. So horses are like mirrors, I guess, to your personality. And they're very addictive in that um, as you start to feel that, um, find that connection with them and create that bond, then, you know, amazing things can happen. You can see the results and you can, you can achieve something very real with a horse that you can't often get through other forms of counselling and people and rehabilitation. I still can't get my head around that. So describe to me, if you're a troubled teenager, how would you approach that? Well, first of all, you're given a responsibility. So that responsibility um, is liable to um, kick you, for example, if you go in and shove it around, if you're angry towards it. Whereas if you if the, you learn one little thing, like, okay, take this step, go in, put your hand on the horse, see what happens, and then you get that that interest and that connection going, then you've got something to work towards that you can, I guess in a sense, love. Yeah. Um, it gives you another dimension to your life that you might not have anywhere else. And you're not you're not going to get anything but an honest answer back. So when that horse starts to connect with you, starts to love you, starts to let you maybe handle it and then gives you that sense of achievement when it allows you to sit on its back and you can train it, then you're possibly getting... Uh, something out of life that you can't get anywhere else, mm. especially if you feel like your life's going nowhere or worse downhill, yeah. that no one cares. Well, here's this animal that's prepared to do whatever you want it to do because of everything that you put in. It, it's hard to describe, I suppose, unless you've done it, but there's a real sense of satisfaction yeah. that comes out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think animals like that are generally, I've got a dog and I yeah. think he does that for me. But Absolutely, yeah. 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 All animals can give you something for sure. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you were a vet nurse. Yes. And how did that go? It was... It's hard. Yeah. There was, it was It was a lot sadder in some ways yeah. than I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. Starting out, obviously, there's a lot of cleaning and just general looking after the animals and then you kind of build up and I got to participate in some surgeries which was really fascinating um and i was i'm a bit of a sook though so a lot of the um 
when I suppose the owners, the owner pet relationships, when things aren't going well, and I'd really feel for them. And um, I ended up bringing home a lot of animals that people had brought in. <laughs> well, if someone comes in with a beautiful, healthy dog, and oh, I've got to put it down, for example, because it's knocking my daughter over, or we have to move, and they'll be all in tears and they'll be upset. And I'm like, well, you know, just bring it. I'll just take it and. Um, I was lucky enough. So you ended up with 50 animals. <laughs> well, I was lucky enough to be able to rehome a lot of them. Um, yeah. I was in a situation where I had a lot of land and a lot of time. So, um, yeah, it, it was very rewarding that way. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, it, it got a little bit difficult in other cases. But yeah. overall, I loved it. Yeah. And were you, like, throughout your career, were you thinking about writing at the time? Were you? Did you have stories in your head? I was writing from, I don't know, always writing. Always, yeah. I used to have these little notebooks stashed under my bed and um, no one was allowed to read them. And I wrote, I think, three 60 or 70,000 word novels by the time I was 18. They weren't very good. Yeah. And I wouldn't let anyone read them, but that's... Cool practice. That's right. And that's that's really when I started, but then I didn't have the courage to put anything out there until I was in my early 30s. Mm. Mm. Did you let anyone read anything? Did you enter short story? Like, did you enter competitions? Not really. No. I mean, I, my high school teacher right back in the day was very encouraging. We used to do a lot of story writing um, back then. But, no, I really didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. And then with all these other directions that I went in, it kind of sat on the back burner, but it was something I always liked. So when I found myself writing again, when I was at home with my kids, I thought, you know, I really want to do something about this. Is that when you started yes, doing it? Yes, that's right. I had yeah. to um, take some time off teaching. I had two young children at home. I loved them to bits, but I just needed to do something on top of that. Do you know, that's a common thread. I hear that with a mm. lot of women writers. Um, yeah. We had Meg Bignall in. I mean, you know, there's just so many where they're at home um, and they decide that they're going to, you know, put pen to paper and have a real go at it, mm. um, which is, you know, um, it's very female to be multitasking, I think. Absolutely. And yeah. I think if you're someone that's always been busy, yes. um, being a mother is, of course, incredibly busy, but in a different in different way. So if you've always been creative and you've enjoyed writing, I think you miss having something like that to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably, yeah, what triggers it. So you finally have the time. Not that there's a lot, but there's there's more than there was in some yeah. cases. So. Oh, yeah. I, as I said, I hear that so often. Mm. So many authors do that. So did you uh, start something new? How did you approach it? I was writing uh, The Secrets of Whitewater Creek at the time, and I um, sent it out to a couple of publishers and didn't get a response, and I have a very good friend uh, Tia Cooper, who said to me, well, We love her, yeah. Yes. She said, why don't you write for one of the Romance Writers Association um, competitions? And I thought, oh, okay. I haven't really thought of romance particularly. Um, and I had a look. And what had you been writing? What had you thought you were writing? Well, Secrets of Whitewater Creek was uh, a suspense. Yeah. And initially, anyway, and... Um, when I entered the, I think it was called the High Five competition for RWA, and I, I did better than I thought I would do, um, I wrote the rest of the book and um, Kate Cuthbert from Escape Publishing picked it up for me. And so I played around with Secrets of Whitewater Creek, made it a romantic suspense and sent that in to Kate as well. 
and um, she loved it, and that's how I really got started. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And were you? How did you feel about that? I was really excited. I felt like maybe I am meant to do this. Maybe yeah. this is something I can actually do. Yeah. Um, and that was it. I I didn't want to go back to teaching. Yeah. I loved the idea that I could stay home with my kids and still have a career, and um, and do what I really like doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is uh, Devil's um, Liar is what, number three? Is it currently? <laughs> no, 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 your um, third book. Six. Six. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay, yeah. that, that's a lot. So how, mm-hmm. long, how long have you been writing? Uh, 2013 was when I was first published with, yeah. oh, it's seven if you include the little uh, romantic comedy I wrote for the um, escape, but... Yeah, so a few years now. So tell me about the book, this book. Well, it's a Tasmanian Gothic thriller. It's uh, set around New Norfolk, which is a lovely little town in Tasmania. It is. Um, It starts off, though, in the Hunter Valley uh, with a character called Callie who thinks she's very happy with her life and her husband and they have a lovely winery. And one day one woman turns up and unfortunately turns everything she thinks she knows about herself on its head and within a very short time frame, um, you know, her husband is dead. She's had a very uh, traumatic situation put in front of her where she is involved with police investigations and media and uh, she really needs to pick herself up and start again from scratch. So her very good friend invites her to go and stay at her family's property and, um, and it sounds like it's the right thing to do, but unfortunately, uh, she's walking into more trouble than she's she's walking away from. And a lot of strange occurrences uh, start to have a questioning of sanity. People and animals end up uh, turn up dead. She's really not sure what's going on, and it's this whole piecing together of um, of what's behind everything that's happened to her since this woman's first turned up in the Hunter Valley, um, and she finds herself. Yeah, fighting for a life. Yeah, in and I, I love the fact that you bring that your love of animals into your work. Um, yes, and it's a beautiful, beautiful cover. Um, talk to me about uh, sense of place. Why Tasmania? Well, it has everything to offer. You know, it, it's it, there's so much wilderness, and it's so beautiful, but so um, treacherous at the same time. When you're writing a thriller, you need um, a setting that can provide everything you need without having to create um, elements of the world just to suit the story. So, um, And it's also the history. It worked really well into the Gothic elements of this book. Um, Tasmania's history, as you know, is quite violent in some areas, so that contrast between the beauty and the, and the history were really just exactly what Devil's Land needed. Yeah. Um- so I want to talk about how some authors talk to me about place being a character. Yes. Talk to me about that. Well, um, Waldron Park, where uh, Kelly goes to retreat from the world for a little while, that house is just full of um, fascinating past and violent history and, yeah, in its own way, it's very much its own personality. It's... Um, it's seen so much and uh, 
when you, when you're reading the book, you know, it's so central to everything that's happened and, and it's affected everyone around it. So if it was a main character, then yeah, it would be a very big, big yeah. main character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, with your writing, um, how structured are you in terms of planning and plotting? Yeah, um, I do plot. <coughs> excuse yeah. me, I plot um, very loosely because I find that although I'll take those ideas into consideration, the book tends to to grow on its own and it may grow in a different direction. Uh, so you just, I just say, well, you know, there it is. But I'm open to moving off on tangents as I need to. Um, I've never really plotted a book from start to finish and it's it's ended up exactly the way I thought it was going to end up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find that fascinating with writers that they talk about the characters just go off and do what they want to do. Absolutely. To <laughs> <laughs> talk to me about that. Well, it, it's kind of, um, in some ways it's almost like they're in your head telling you, you know, talking to you, you can hear the dialogue in once you really get into the book. At the beginning, when I'm, when I first start writing books, I find it that I have to really push myself to get into them. But once those characters evolve, you tend to get to know them, then that's when I think they start to take on a life of their own. Um, the certain traits seem to just want to continue to come out almost like a real person, you know, yeah. and, um, and they don't always act the way you think they're going to act. You might say, well, no, in Chapter 7 she was supposed to get really mad and not storm off, but <laughs> in actual fact, you know, she's crying and she's in the corner and it just, I can't explain it better than that. It just, it's a natural evolution. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. That's mm. definitely a common thread. Yeah. And once you've finished a book, um, is it easy to leave them and move on to the next? No, which is probably why I carry some characters over into other books. Yes. So, although because not everyone does that, no, not everyone does that. Um, I find that sometimes, even with a story where all the loose ends are tied up at the end, some of a character's story still needs to be told. Especially, and if I feel that, I'll often get um, messages from readers too saying, well, we want to hear a little bit more about this person and, and what happens and can you give them, you know, their own story. So I feel like, well, yes, of course, like the character's there and um, let's just develop them a bit more and, and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Sarah, um, I can't thank you enough. It's always so interesting talking with writers. Thank um, you. And, uh, yeah, congratulations on your book and uh, keep writing. Thank you. Thanks so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere.
podcast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.